0: And all the people that claimed uh, that Bitcoin and other crypto would be a haven against inflation. Well, I warned my readers last year that that was completely untested and unproven. And it, it's, it's certainly shown to not be a haven at all against inflation. The price has only gone one way, which is down. Crypto is essentially uh, has behaved so far like a highly.
1: Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Review with Rob Marstrand. Nigel Farage couldn't join us. He's on his way to Australia. At least uh, he will be by the time you're watching this. Um, But we are joined by his co-conspirator and colleague, Rob Marstrand from UK Independent Wealth. Rob, I want to start by asking you something that I've noticed over the last few days. A lot of famous investors who I follow have started telling their followers that I think they're saying some version of this is the most difficult period for investors they can remember or in their life or you know, even even bigger timeframes than that. Why are they saying this? Hello, Nick. Yes, well, I actually agree
0: with with uh, that opinion. It's certainly the hardest I've seen. So uh, basically, we've had this sort of, if you like, everything bubble so or super bubble where lots and lots of different assets for across stock markets, the bond market, housing markets have achieved these incredibly high prices, which is another way of saying that the yields that you can earn on, on those assets are incredibly low. And that's because we've basically been in a process of falling interest rates ever since the very early 1980s. So, you know, 40 years, over a generation. Now, in the past, we've had bubbles as well. We had one in uh, the late 1990s, which ended in the, the the tech, media and telecoms or dot-com bubble, which ended in very early two thousand. And we had the sort of financial uh, banking and hedge fund and private equity bubble and commodity bubble, which ended in um, the middle of 2008. Well, actually, it it sort of peaked in earlier in 2007, but it really burst in 2008. And we had the global financial crisis. But in those previous episodes, interest rates were sort of normal-ish. And if you wanted to run away from the stock market or, um, or, or even picking another bubble, you know, the housing bubble in the late 80s in the UK that burst in, in the early 1990s, which is very painful for people with a lot of mortgage debt. Um, but there was always somewhere to run to. So, so if you had a lot of money in the stock market and you thought things were getting risky, you just could just pile into cash for a, a period of time or pile into gilts or other bonds, which paid a decent yield. And as the stock market crashed, either your cash just sat there and earned you a decent bit of interest above inflation, or the bond market actually went up because people sort of shifted more and more money in there. Right now, the problem is cash deposits, your bank deposits pay virtually nothing, yet inflation is already sort of up in the double-digit area and possibly going higher. Um, and bonds are, are well, I've called them toxic, particularly long-dated bonds, and they're losing value very, very fast prices have, have dropped dramatically over the last sort of year and a half, two years, in long dated gilts, for example. So so there's nowhere to hide in that sense. So you have to be more creative in, in how you protect your wealth uh, in this low interest rate, but rising interest rate, uh, and quite high inflation, t- inflationary time.
1: Yeah, it's worth reminding people that investing is a game of alternatives, even if you think you're sitting out and you're just sitting in cash, that is, is a choice you're making with your money. And really investing is about choosing the best possible option. And that makes things especially difficult when there is no good option out there uh, to choose from. One of the things that's, that's bothering me about the current environment is that the only sort of historical blueprint that we've got is from basically from the 70s. But the world's changed so much in so many different ways. For example, house prices are a part of that everything bubble, I would argue, which means the traditional inflation, low interest rate asset property uh, is not a good place to be. There is nothing else either. Uh, and that's what makes this so tough. You know, I, I always like to point out that how an investment performs doesn't just depend on where it ends up in, in terms of its price. It's also where it starts off. Um, and, and in an everything well, bubble, I mean, everything's too that's high. A-
0: well, that's, that's a very important couple of points you made there. One is if you just sit, do nothing and stick your money in the bank, you're losing buying power, because the pound is losing purchasing power all the time. And if, if you were to do that for a few years, and let's say inflation stays at a reasonably high level for a few years, you could lose quite suddenly find that you've lost sort of 80% plus of your, of your buying power of your money uh, over, over just a handful of years. On the housing point, I just uh, add a couple of things there in the context of UK housing. So If you go back to the the late 60s, really, is when the last inflationary period uh, started and lasted through the 70s. You know, in the UK context back in the 70s, A, it was very difficult to get mortgage finance. So people weren't very leveraged in that market. A lot more people had to rent off landlords than they do now, believe it or not. Um, So as interest rates went up, that extra interest, that mortgage interest cost wasn't such a factor in in people's thinking or in the pricing. B, um, so that was just simply access, um, the valuation, uh, what, well, people basically had, had mortgages to the extent they have had them after that, maybe they would last for, you know, 25 years at two and a half times salary. Now you might have one lasting for 40 years plus at four or five times salary. So it's a much bigger debt that people have taken on in many cases. And the other thing, quite frankly, is, is, um, the multiple of prices now to, to incomes, to household incomes, is way above where it was historically. So there's, there's much more scope for prices to fall as interest rates on mortgages rise. So, so it's, it's really quite an, an interesting time and, and could be quite, uh, we could see quite big falls potentially. But we don't know exactly because we don't know exactly where interest rates are going.
1: Without giving too much away, where are you hiding over at UK Independent Wealth?
0: Well, uh, as I said, I don't, I don't think doing nothing is an option. Um, So our favorites are gold, which is sort of um, an inflation hedge, but it's also a crisis hedge. I mean, let's not forget that Mr. Putin has just mobilized, you know, vast extra number of numbers of Russian people to send into the meat grinder of the Ukraine war. Um, So we don't know where that's going to go. There are wobbly finances all across Europe in places like Italy and Greece, and we don't know where that's going to go. The pound has been weak. Um, and gold provides a bit of a hedge against further weakness. And uh, obviously, we don't know exactly how the, the new government's growth agenda is going to work out in the short term. It could actually be a case of more bad news in the short term before the good news kicks in, um, would be uh, one of the scenarios that I think is quite probable. So we think gold has to be an important part of it, um, just as a kind of hedge against that inflation or big crises, China invading uh, Taiwan at some point, which would send everything haywire again etc. And the other place is uh, in the stock market, but very specific parts of the stock market. So deep value, meaning low price to earnings ratios, typically in single digits, high dividend income. So companies that make cash, they're profitable, they have resilient businesses, they can keep paying you that income, which might be anywhere between five and even 10 or even 12% in some cases, some of the things we've got. And finally, companies that have low or no debts, Because in these periods in the past, as interest rates have gone up, the interest expenses of highly leveraged companies have have rocketed and that's destroyed their their bottom line profits. And we really want to avoid that. So our emphasis is very much on these companies with very strong balance sheets, unlikely to go bust, unlikely to get badly affected by rising interest rates.
1: You've been warning about toxic bonds for a while now, and you know a lot of people say predicting inflation has been a good call. Well, predicting the crash in the bond market, I think has been even better, um, even more surprising to a lot of people who bought bonds thinking they were safe. However, at some point you would think that these interest rate hikes will cause a financial crisis somewhere because of all this debt. And in that scenario, the central banks would probably start cutting interest rates and bonds would probably start to rally. So at some point, bonds are likely to be a good trade. Do you think we're we're close to that point? Would you consider putting on that bet or are you, you know, just not even considering bonds at all?
0: Too early in my opinion. I mean, we're definitely in a in a rate rising cycle still. Bonds don't like rising rates. I mean, neither do other assets, but bonds particularly, especially long maturity bonds, so ones that won't be paid off for 10, 20, 30 years, they're particularly at risk and they those are the ones where the price pull falls have been most dramatic over the last sort of year and a half, two years. Um, will the time come? Yeah, I mean, the, there's always a potential. You know, let's say we're into the middle or or let's say we're a year from now and uh, somehow the stock markets in the U.S. have still been levitating at rather overpriced levels, which I think is a fairly consensus view that the U.S. market is is still overpriced. And there are good reasons to think that the stock market's about to go off a cliff. And let's say U.S. Treasury ten-year uh, U.S. Treasury bonds yield, um, say five percent for the sake of argument, um, that might be a, a decent place to shelter uh, as the stock market crashes. But I think I think it's way too early for that. And uh, there's no point owning short short dated bonds. I mean, um, if you if you're earning sort of two percent a year or whatever, and you're paying a custody fee in your in your brokerage account and um, and there are trading costs and, and, and so forth. I, I just don't see the point. And by the way, uh, this is. It gets, I don't want to get too technical, but I'll just, I'll just observe this. Inflation-linked bonds, which are meant to provide uh, protection in rising inflation times, have been also a dreadful place to invest because guess what? They were also massively overpriced going into this episode. So that's just another example of how difficult it has been to find a haven because even the stuff that's meant to protect you hasn't worked.
1: I think every video like this needs to mention cryptocurrencies at some point. So let's dig into those. You're a lot more skeptical about them than Nigel and I. And and I don't really want to focus on why so much. What I want to point out is the irony of the fact that you live in Argentina, which is one of the few places in the world that almost offers proof that the world needs Bitcoin in order to escape some of the, uh, the issues with the fiat money. Is your your skepticism about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies Purely about their price performance and their their speculative bubbles, or is it something deeper about them?
0: Um, well, I, look. First of all, I I first got interested in them quite a long time ago. Unfortunately, I wasn't um, smart enough to foresee the huge run in price from sort of you know fifteen dollars a bitcoin to wherever it wherever it got to at the peaks plus, yeah, $60, plus sixty thousand plus. But it, I think it's fascinating. I think it's a fascinating monetary experiment. Um, one of the things I originally felt would happen has happened, which is that there's been a hyperinflation in the sense of uh, the number of cryptocurrencies created. So I think we're up to you know many thousands or even tens of thousands. and I think I think it's up to many thousands that have failed already. So people have put money into these things and they've failed. Um, so I think there's plenty of reason to be skeptical. I think there's reason to be skeptical about some of the bigger claims made by some of the you know the people banging the drum for cryptocurrencies. Saying how wonderful they are, they, they seem to be uh, looking at this whole area without any kind of um, independent thought or objectivity. And it, and it's important to to look at both sides. And th- that's true, by the way, for every type of investment. You have to look at the both both sides of the argument, for and against, before you make your decision. So I'm interested in them. I have um, some small exposures to them. I think you know. I think they'll be around for a long time. Um, but. I don't think they're as safe uh, as a lot of people have claimed. I don't think they're as far out of the reach of governments as, as a lot of people have claimed. Um, I think government regulation at some point, if their own currencies come under bigger threat, could absolutely decimate the whole crypto space. If they if they were simply made illegal, you know, how many people are actually going to carry on holding them in that scenario? Not very many businesses certainly won't transact them because they'll be closed down like that if they do. Um, so yeah, Argentina was an early adopter. I saw lots of people use it, but that's because they have strict, strict capital controls here and very high inflation rates, but, you know, the reason the government's done that. But it's, it's not the complete panacea and it's certainly not a secure, stable, sleep well at night um, store of value. I mean, anything that can go from you know $60,000 plus, $60, plus down to where are we today? I don't know, somewhere around $20,000, certainly is not a safe haven. And all the people that claimed uh, that bitcoin and other crypto would be a haven against inflation well i warned my readers last year that that was completely untested and unproven and it, it's it's certainly shown to not be a haven at all against inflation the price has only gone one way which is down crypto is essentially uh has behaved so far like a highly speculative technology stroke meme stock Something like, uh, say, Tesla Motors, uh, which is another thing I think is is dramatically
1: uh, overpriced for, for what it's worth. I think I can sum all this up by just saying that we're in uncharted waters here. There's just too many unusual factors, too many new combinations of factors that we just we just don't know what they really mean, and that's what makes is making things so difficult. Bitcoin's one of those opportunities. in yeah. bonds.
0: No, that's absolutely right. It's 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 a time to play play it safe, be cautious, but also you've got you know, we're going through a massive regime chain, we've, we've pretty much got a whole generation of investors, including myself, by the way. I mean, I'm, I'm older than I'm going to admit, but um, I've never invested through a period like this. All I can do is look at the history books, look at what happened to the markets, look at what people were saying at the time, which sectors performed and which didn't in the 70s and so forth. And the, it's quite hard to get data, believe it or not. And some of the things people are saying now, if you actually look at the historical data, are flat wrong in terms of what's going to perform in, in high and rising inflation. They're flat wrong if you look at the, the historical record. So it's time to be cautious. And that's why I always go for really cheap already, pays a high income, etc. If you're going into the stock market. But doing nothing is not an option either because you're just losing
1: losing value. And we're recording this just a few minutes after the Bank of England made its rate decision, which was to raise interest rates by half percent. What's your sort of analysis on this, especially focusing on the fact that the Fed raised rates by 0.75, 75 basis points. The I think the Swedes raised it by 4%. So it seems to me that the, the Bank of England is behind the curve with only the Bank of Japan even further behind.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the market will be surprised that it was only half a um, percentage point rise by the Bank of England. I think they're way behind the, the curve. All these central banks are saying... With, with this whole inflationary spike, they're saying, oh, it's not our fault. We didn't do it. Look, every, the prices of everything's going up all around the world and <clears throat> blaming it all on Mr. Putin. Well, here's the reality. Yes, the natural gas price in Russia has spiked because the supplies from Russia have been curtailed, uh, either because um, they've they've been cut off by the Russians or because the European countries, including ourselves, have said we don't want to buy them anymore. Look at the oil price. The oil price is, is about the same as it was before the war started. So and you know, inflation was already on a uh, on a highish and rising trajectory before that war. All the central banks, all the main central banks—Bank of England, Federal Reserve, European Central Bank, etc.—engaged in mass money creation, quantitative easing, as it's called, uh, during the pandemic. To, in my opinion, to fund government handouts as everyone was sent into lockdown. That money sat in people's bank accounts, built up, and now. Uh, as COVID drifts away, people are going out and spending again. Um, and that's caused inflation. It's, it's no more complex than that. So the Bank of England says it's not my fault, Governor. But collectively across them, it is their fault. And that's why it's happened in so many countries at once. And it's happening in the USA, which doesn't have the natural gas shortages of Europe, for example. So, um, you know, I I think the Bank of England is way behind the curve on correcting their mistake. But they seem to be slow institutionally to admit their mistakes. Um, so this is where we are.
1: I'm going to leave it with that cheeky final comment. Rob, thanks for joining us and everyone at home. Thanks for watching. Thanks, Nick.